Last night, the Federal Reserve did exactly what I had been forecasting they would do for years. They slashed interest rates all the way down to zero, the biggest rate cut in a single day in the history of the Fed, and they relaunched quantitative easing. They announced an official $700 billion QE program, although in his emergency impromptu press conference that followed that Sunday night rate cut, Powell was specifically asked if this was now officially QE because he's denied it in the past, even though he was doing it. And again, Powell refused to admit that this is QE. And he basically said, well, you know, I don't like to put labels on stuff. Well, why not? I mean, if the label is so good, if QE worked so well when the Fed did it before, why is it afraid to admit that they're doing it again. I mean, the truth is the Fed has got to know that it didn't work and they have no choice but to do it again. So they're just trying to pretend it's something else by not calling it QE. But, you know, I never liked the name QE anyway. I just like to call it what it is, monetizing the debt. And that's exactly what he's doing. In fact, today, this afternoon, the Fed announced another emergency $500 billion program. I mean, they're just throwing these numbers out, $500 billion here, $500 billion there. You know, pretty soon you're talking about real money. But none of this is working, and none of this can work. I mean, as I've been saying, and in fact, I put up a clip of my appearance on Fox Business with Liz Clayman last year when the Fed made the first quarter point rate cut, and I said, Liz, this is just the beginning. We're going all the way to zero, but we're also going to go back to QE. And that's exactly what happened. And again, it's not because of the coronavirus. The coronavirus is the pin. If it wasn't the coronavirus, it would have been something else. This was inevitable. That's how I knew it was coming. But what I told Liz that day was that QE wouldn't work, that it wasn't going to stop the recession and it wasn't going to stop the bear market. And it's not. You know, people are taking the money to the supermarket, not the stock market. The only reason that people think that QE worked the last time they did it was one, they were able to reflate the asset bubbles. But that wasn't success. That was failure. But people think it was success, so they think it worked. But again, the other factor, and I can't stress this enough, and I've been talking about it on this podcast for a long time, is that what convinced everybody that it worked and that we dodged the hyperinflation bullet, right, was that Everybody believed that it was temporary, that the Fed was going to be able to normalize interest rates and shrink its balance sheet. Well, nobody is going to believe that this time. Once this balance sheet blows through 10 trillion, you know, once interest rates are back to zero and they've been there for who knows how long the Fed's going to try to keep them there and who knows where the national debt is going to go. I mean, we know it's going into the stratosphere, but nobody is going to believe that normalization is even close to possible, that any balance sheet reduction will ever happen. And so nothing is going to stop the bottom from falling out of the dollar. And now hyperinflation is probably not just the worst case case uh, scenario. It's probably the most likely scenario. It's not an absolute certainty. I mean, maybe we can avoid it. But you know, the probability now is probably greater than not that that's exactly what we're going to end up suffering. You know, the laws of economics apply here, just like they apply to Weimar Republic, Germany, 
or uh, more recently in Zimbabwe or Argentina, if we pursue the same monetary and fiscal policy that they did, we're going to receive the same monetary outcome that they did. But in addition to the rate reduction down to zero in the launching of the QE program. Another thing that the Federal Reserve announced last night was that the reserve requirement to banks was being reduced to zero, meaning that banks are not required to keep any reserves, right? So it doesn't matter how many federally insured deposits they actually have, they could just make as many loans as they want, which of course means they're putting all those deposits at risk And the only reason that they could do that is because of the insurance. How many people would actually want to leave their money in a bank knowing that the bank doesn't have to have any reserves, that it can make as many loans as it wants? And if those loans go bad, you're going to lose your deposit. The only reason the banks could do this, the only reason the Federal Reserve can have a reserve requirement so low is because of the moral hazard of the FDIC. So this is a combination of bad monetary policy and bad regulatory policy causing an over-leveraged banking system to get even more deeper into debt and become an even bigger ticking time bomb. So now when all these big banks fail, right, the cost of bailing them out is going to be so much greater. You know, and I thought it was funny too in the press conference that Trump had following the rate cut, right? He, he mentioned that he was very pleasantly surprised. Like, wow, I didn't expect this. Oh my God. But you know, I'm very happy that we got this unexpected rate cut. I mean, how is it that this wasn't unexpected? It was just a prior day on Saturday in another press conference, Trump said that he was thinking about demoting Powell, that he thought he had the power to fire him and to demote him and to promote somebody else. And he was thinking about doing that, but, you know, not right now. And the very next day, after Trump publicly says that he has the authority to fire Powell or demote him, and then the next day he slashes interest rates all the way to zero, and Trump is like, oh my God, I had no idea this was going to happen. I mean, what are the odds that Trump did not know this was going to happen? And what are the odds that Powell did not know that his job was hanging by the balance and that he had better get his mind right and get it right quick if he wanted to keep his job as Fed chairman? You know, the most amazing thing about what everybody is saying, and it's not just Donald Trump, it's everybody, right? All the Republicans, everybody I'm hearing on the financial networks. I mean, they all sound like uh, the Democratic candidates last night in the debate, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. You know, it doesn't even matter at this point who wins. I mean, obviously Biden's the next president, but it doesn't even matter. Bernie Sanders has already won because everybody is a socialist, right? You know, there's no atheists in foxholes that there's no free market capitalists in a recession, in a stock market crash. Everybody's a socialist. Everybody wants the government to bail everybody out. I mean, the one thing that everybody is saying is that no American should have to suffer. No American should have to sacrifice. No American should lose anything because of the coronavirus. First of all, Let's say this coronavirus is every bit as bad as people think. And this is going to be a major national effort, right? We have to fight off this coronavirus. And in fact, a lot of other people are saying this is like a war. A lot of politicians and people in the market are comparing it to World War II. They're saying we have to come together and we have to fight this off. 
the same way we came together and and fought World War II, right? Well, that's not what they're advocating. These guys have no idea how we came together to fight World War II. You know, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and when FDR had to go to the nation and let them know that we were going to have war with Japan and then war with Germany, uh, FDR did not tell the public that there was nothing to worry about, that nobody was going to suffer, that nobody was going to lose their job, that everybody was going to be made whole, that nobody had to worry about paying their rent or paying their medical bills because all this money was going to be provided by the government. They didn't say that. They said the opposite of that. You know, the reality is, and this is a reality that seems to be lost on everybody today, is that it's the people that support the government. The government can never support the people because the government gets its money from the people. So when we went to war, right, it was the people, the American people, that sacrificed to support the war effort. What happened? Government spending went up sixfold during World War II. Now, taxes tripled on the middle class. It wasn't like we just taxed the rich. You know, in 1941, only about 3% of the public paid the income tax. By 1942, 30% of the public paid the income tax. We had the victory tax in 1942. That's what introduced withholding out of your wages for the first time. It was to win the war. Right now, they're talking about a payroll holiday. We started taking money out of people's payrolls when World War II began. But it wasn't just higher taxes that the government needed. The government also called on the American public to lend it money. The government spending, as I said, increased about six times, but tax revenue only increased about three times. So there was a big gap. The national debt between 1941 and 1945 went from about $43 billion up to about $259 billion. So a $260 billion increase. Three quarters of that increase in the debt, right? 216 billion, three quarters, was from individual Americans buying war bonds. War bonds. And remember, we just came out of the Depression. We had the Depression in the 1930s, and here comes 1941, and we have World War II, and the government asks average Americans to sacrifice and pay massive taxes that they weren't paying before, and the government comes to the people and says, we need you to loan us money. Now, where did the people get all this money to loan to the government? Well, number one, they had savings, so they loaned that. But number two, they stopped spending money. What happened to the economy during World War II? Consumer spending on discretionary items collapsed. Auto sales went down 53% during World War II. Spending on entertainment and recreation was down by 26%. Right now, why did auto sales go down? Well, I mean, first of all, all the automobile companies were making tanks and making Jeeps. They weren't even making any automobiles that any individuals can buy. Uh, Recreation, entertainment. I mean, 16 million men left the country and went to fight. Obviously, they're not going to bars. They're not taking their girls to restaurants. So 26 percent decline. Furniture sales, appliances down 24%. Even education spending went down 21%. Why? Because all the kids were fighting. They weren't going to college. But what happened to all of these businesses when this happened? 
right? Didn't bars and restaurants suffer when people were fighting in wars and not going out to bars and not going out to restaurants? When people weren't buying furniture? What did the furniture stores do? I mean, what were people spending their money on? I mean, they bought food. Spending on food was up 35% during the war. Why? Were people eating more food? No. Food got more expensive. That's why. That's why people spent more money on food because food was more expensive. Same thing for medical costs. Spending on medical costs, 38% increase during the war. Fuel and electricity up 8.5%. Here's one of the biggest gainers, clothing. The cost, spending on clothing increased 56% during the war. Why? Because all the materials were being used to make uniforms for the troops. So clothing became very expensive. So naturally, people bought less clothing. Well, what happened to all the stores? What happened to all the clothing stores when no one is buying clothes? Did anybody during World War II, did FDR say, we're going to bail out all the companies, all the bars, all the restaurants, that are seeing a big decline in their businesses. Don't worry, you don't have to lay anybody off. We're gonna bail you out. If you're having trouble paying your rent, we're gonna make sure to cover that. Nobody is gonna lose anything. You know, if you have to stay at home and take care of your kids, don't worry, we're gonna cover your childcare. You know what happened during the Second World War when so many men went off to fight the war? Their wives went to work at a factory. Nobody talked about giving child care to the kids. Look, that was a real emergency, real national sacrifice where the government called on the rugged individuals that used to populate our country, real Americans, and said, you know what? This is a national emergency, and I know it's going to be painful. People are going to lose money. Businesses are going to lose sales. People are going to lose their jobs. But you know what? We're all in this together. We're going to pull together and... You know, we're going we're gonna to fight World War II. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. Get smarter about things like saving on travel, because spending less on airfare means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancier dinner, too. Boosting your credit score, since good credit is like a real-life cheat code and saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Can you imagine again if the R said nobody has to sacrifice? Nobody has to pay higher taxes to fight World War II? In fact, we're going to cut your taxes while we're fighting World War II? Nobody has to buy any war bonds? I mean, the crazy thing is not only is the government not saying that it needs to borrow money from the public. The government is saying it's going to loan money to the public. As it's cutting its taxes and reducing its revenue, it's promising loans. It's promising to guarantee loans. It's promising to bail out all these companies. I mean, today they, the president announced that they're going to bail out the airlines, like a $50 billion bailout. The president said, oh, you know, it's not their fault uh, that, they, uh, that we have the coronavirus. Look, the coronavirus isn't their fault, but the fact that they levered up so much and they bought back all this overpriced stock, whose fault is that? Why didn't they have reserves for a rainy day like companies did uh, going into the Second World War? Why is everybody so levered up? You know, no one forced them to do that. Now, again, if you want to blame anybody other than the airline executives, right, themselves, or the stockholders for being asleep at the switch or the bondholders, we can blame the Fed. The Fed uh, levered everybody up by keeping interest rates artificially low. 
the government, you know, bailed out other industries in the past. You know, what should we do with the airlines? Let them fail. Let them go bankrupt. Now, it's not like there won't be any planes. Just like if we had not bailed out the banks and let them fail, the banks don't go away. What happens is smarter, more prudent people take over. That's what would happen if we let the airlines go bankrupt. Somebody would come in and buy up the planes and run the airlines, but do it in a more responsible way, knowing that if they failed, they wouldn't get bailed out either. But if we keep bailing out companies that take on too much leverage, well, then that's going to continue to happen. Just like I said before, these banks are going to fail again. All the banks that were too big to fail are much bigger now, and they're still going to fail. And now it's going to cost even more money to bail them out. Had we not bailed them out the first time, they'd be in much better shape right now. But the even crazier part of the whole thing is when everybody is saying that the government has to make everybody whole, right? The government has to you know, stop taxation, suspend taxation, and start sending money, right? Putting money in the pockets of the American people. All of a sudden, uh, Andrew Yang's $1,000 a month for every American, they're talking about that, right? They're literally talking about dropping from money from helicopters. In fact, people are saying, let's drop money from helicopters, and they somehow think that's a good thing. Look, if we could have done that, why didn't FDR do that during World War II? Why didn't FDR just say, hey, we're going to give everybody a tax cut. We're going to bail everybody out. We don't want anybody to suffer uh, from World War II. And we're just going to pay for World War II by printing money. You know, they had a Federal Reserve back then. I mean, they could have just said, hey, you know, Fed, we need, we need money for bombers and tanks and planes. So print up a bunch of money. You know, if FDR had had the same fiscal and monetary policies in 1941 that we're advising now, you know, we'd all be speaking German now. We would have lost that war. We couldn't have fought any of that war. The only reason we were able to win the war is because the private sector freed up resources and made those resources available to the government. So they stopped consuming, they stopped spending, and they saved more, and they loaned their savings to the government to free up resources to fight the war. What resources is the government asking Americans to free up now? None. The government is claiming that it's going to shower everybody with money. Where is it coming from? The government doesn't have any way to get money but for the people. You know, when the government was just bailing out the banks, right? Okay, that was one segment of the economy. Now they have to bail out everybody. You know, when the financial crisis started, right, the, the 2008 crisis, what started that? Well, real estate prices came down. Uh, people didn't want to pay their mortgages. So the lenders lost money, whether it was the GSEs or the banks. That was it. You know, compare that to today. Everybody needs a bailout. Everybody is broke. Everybody is levered up. And the whole economy is shutting down. I mean, look, it started here uh, Sunday in Puerto Rico. We're on a nine to five curfew. They ordered mandatory closing of all non-essential businesses. The whole island is shutting down and it's going on all over the country. Businesses are shutting down. People are staying at home. You know, they've got this uh, this new um, mandatory, you know, paid leave program that the House passed. The Senate hasn't passed it yet, but it's a, it's a slam dunk. I said on my last podcast, we're going to pass all this pork power legislation in an election year. This is a disaster. I mean, first of all, it includes a permanent position of mandatory leave where all employers have to give their workers two weeks of paid leave. And, you know, if you already give your workers two weeks of paid leave, then you got to make it four, right? You can't just say, well, I'm already doing it, so I'm covered. No, if you already provide it, then you got to jack it up uh, to four. Now, the other problem is that it 
applies to all companies, no matter how many people that you employ, except if you employ 50 or fewer, or fewer than 50, I forget exactly if it's 49 or 50, but around 50 is the break point. If you employ fewer than 50, you can actually get the cost of those sick uh, pay reimbursed from the government. But if you have more than 50 employees, you got to eat the cost yourself. Well, that is a powerful incentive for businesses that have 55, 60, 70 employees to lay off a bunch of employees so they can get underneath that 50 employee threshold so then they can get reimbursed uh, for all the, the days off. But of course, you know, a lot of people are going to take these days off, whether they're sick or not. In fact, another provision of this bill, it's not just the two weeks for, you know, sick leave. You get uh, three months of family leave, right? And family leave is very broad. In fact, family leave even applies if you have a kid in school who isn't in school, right? Because the school is closed because of the coronavirus. You get to take off work to stay home with your kid and your employer is required to pay you 70% of your wages for three months, even if you don't show up. I mean, everybody's kids are being forced to go home from school. And it doesn't say how old. I mean, so somebody has a 17-year-old kid from high school. Oh, my kid's not in school. I got to take three months off work. Here's my 70% of pay. I mean, this is the worst thing they could do. I mean, they're actually encouraging people who could have maybe worked. And here's a bigger problem, too. I didn't even know about this law until I read it. If people are working from home, right, if you have your employees work from home, but let's say because they're working from home, they're not going to do, you know, the full 40 hours work that they would normally do. Let's say you're going to have them work from home, but only do half a day. You can't pay them half their wages. It's all or nothing. The laws say that if you require your worker to do any work at home, you have to give him his full salary. So the only way you could avoid paying them a salary is to have them do no work at all. I mean, the laws are so ridiculous, but the country is shutting down. That is the point. So where is the money going to come from? Where is the government going to get money to pay all these people who aren't working, who aren't producing? And it's not just the fact that the U.S. service sector is imploding. This is happening worldwide, right? A lot of goods that we're buying from China, those goods are not being made. They're not going to come here. Right. People are rushing to the supermarkets. They're rushing to the drugstores and they're buying up supplies. I mean, this is the right thing to do because this stuff is going to disappear. You know, I thought it was ridiculous. I was watching on the Sunday morning talk shows and Steven Mnuchin was making the rounds and he was actually telling people that there's not going to be a recession, that we're going to avoid a recession. I mean, is he crazy? How could he possibly think that? You know, he's making Donald Trump look even worse than he already looks by denying that we're going into recession. Just level with the public. Okay, we're going to have a recession. But no, this guy claims we're going to avoid recession. But one of the reasons he said we're going to avoid a recession is he said, you know, not all businesses are suffering. He said some businesses are booming. He said, take a look at grocery stores. Take a look at uh, drug stores. I mean, is this guy serious? The fact that people are waiting in line to buy food and toilet paper, that's a boom? I mean, business is booming? I mean, he might as well say business is booming at hospitals because so many people are getting sick. I mean, this is ridiculous. This is the sign that a massive economic downturn is coming. You know, a lot of people are saying, or now you know, Goldman Sachs said that maybe we're going to have a 5% one quarter drop in GDP. What? One quarter? This is going to last way more than a quarter. You know, during the Great Depression, 
the uh, GDP dropped by about 25% during the depression. This is going to be worse than that. And the economy is in much worse shape now that we were going into the depression. You know, I was looking at these numbers for the stock markets. I talked about World War II. This is very interesting in that from peak to trough, if you look at where the high of the stock market was in 1941, right, the year World War II started, to the low in 1942, the Dow Jones dropped by 30%. That was it, 30% during World War II. And of course, again, nobody got a bailout during the war. Nobody got a government loan. Everybody got tax increases and had to loan money to the government. But the stock market, the Dow was down by 30%. We are already down by 32% because of the coronavirus. Now, does anybody think that fighting the coronavirus is worse than fighting World War II? I mean, do we really think that? I mean, 16 million men in uniform in Japan and in Europe? I mean, come on. I mean, what is worse for business? I mean, what's worse for travel and tourism, right? What's worse for entertainment? I mean, what made a bigger impact on the economy? World War II or this? Right. I mean, having to free up all that raw material, all those resources, you know, during World War II, all sorts of stuff was rationed because the, the government needed it all. So consumers couldn't have it because they had to fight the war. I mean, this is nothing. I'm not downplaying the coronavirus, but come on. Would you rather have the coronavirus or have World War Three? Right. No. So the coronavirus pales in comparison to the economic damage inflicted by the need to fight the Second World War. Well, the Dow Jones is already down 32% from its high because of the coronavirus. Now, what is that telling you? That is A, telling you how much weaker and more fragile the U.S. economy is today than it was in 1941. Even though we had just come out of the Great Depression, the economy was still in better shape then than it is now because this thing like the coronavirus and yes, the coronavirus is worldwide, but so was World War II. I mean, that's why they called it a world war, because it was all over the world, right? And it, wasn't, and it was worse, rather, than the coronavirus, right? A lot more people were dying fighting in World War II than have died or could potentially die in the, the coronavirus. But today alone, the Dow Jones was down almost 3,000 points. 2,997 points was the final number. We were down about 100 points more than that uh, right near the close. So at one point, we were down 3,000 points. This is the biggest single-day point drop in history. So we, we, we keep breaking records. I keep saying it's a record point drop, and I keep saying I think we're going to break it. And I don't even know if this record's going to stand either. We may have a bigger point drop than this. Now, this is now, when it comes to percentage declines, it was a 12.93% decline. This is the second biggest one-day drop in history. The only other day that was worse than this was 1987, which was the stock market crash. That's it. That means for all the years of the Great Depression, for all the years during World War II, there wasn't a single day where the stock market lost as big a percent as it did today. But when it comes to the NASDAQ composites, 12.32% decline today, and the Russell 2000's 14.22 percentage decline today, both of those indexes 
Today's point declines set all-time records for the greatest percentage decline in a single day. That means those two indexes crashed more today than they did on the infamous 1987 stock market crash. Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention, it doesn't only show you how weak the U.S. economy is, how vulnerable it is to any kind of shock, but it also shows you how expensive and overvalued the market is that it could drop this much. And you know what? It's not even close to bottoming out. It has a long way to go down, and it's going to go down. You know, look at the Russell 2000, which I have been pointing out is the weakest of the indexes. This one was down 14.27% today, 1,037, now down 40% from the peak from 2018. We've now wiped out almost seven years of gains for the Russell 2000, and we're just getting started. I think we have a good shot of dropping another 60-plus percent to get down to the lows from 2009. Look, all of the gains, and I've been saying this, all of the paper gains that people have had in the stock market are going to be wiped out. And the bigger problem is their principal is going to get wiped out to inflation or whatever is left of it. You know, that regional banking index, I've been talking about that. That's now down another 13.66% today. It's dropped 45% now from its high, almost a 50% drop in the banking industry. And again, imagine we've had this entire drop with the Fed slashing interest rates to zero and doing all this quantitative easing. You got to ask yourself this, how much bigger would the drop have been had the Fed not been bracing the market's fall? I mean, who knows? I mean, I'm sure that the decline has been slowed by all this QE and all these rate cuts. So where would the market be but for the Fed? It'd be a lot lower. But you know what? It's still going to get there. The Fed is not stopping the fall. The only thing the Fed is doing is slowing it down. But as I've been saying since the beginning of this crisis, the real problem is going to be a supply shock to the economy. The supply of goods is going to go down significantly and the supply of services is going to go down because people aren't providing those services. People are at home. They're going to wait for their government check. And of course, the imports are going to be an even bigger problem because they're not going to come in. And so the policy response of creating money, of sending people money that we create out of thin air, that is actually the worst possible thing that you can do. Now, at some point, the dollar is going to have to give. The bottom is going to fall out of the dollar. Now, the dollar index was down today about 70 basis points, but it really wasn't down very much. And of course, one of the reasons that we didn't see a much weaker dollar is the Fed is not the only central bank making these uh, policy mistakes. You've got even uh, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand last night dropped interest rates from 1% to 0.25%, 25 basis points. And they said they would leave them there for an entire year. And then they hinted that they would do an asset purchase program of their own. Now, you would think that the Bank of uh, New Zealand, the Reserve Bank, would be smart enough to realize that every other central bank that has tried the asset purchase program, it has failed. And again, the proof that it's failed is that they're still doing it. Right. If the Fed did it initially and said it's temporary, it's an emergency, we're only going to do it once. And now they're doing it again. By definition, it did not work. So why are they stupid enough to do it? 
You got me. You've got Japan came out with an emergency announcement last night. They're upping their asset purchases. Everybody is doing this. And so that is temporarily propping up the dollar. But ultimately, a lot of these central banks are going to give up this policy. They are going to have to fight the inflation that they are unleashing. The global inflation is going to be far worse. That's going to do far more damage than the coronavirus, right? Because all this money printing uh, and everybody, you know, shutting down and not being productive, right? And the government just cutting taxes and increasing government spending, right? This is, again, as I said on last week's podcast, this is just a giant experiment that we don't need to run because we know how it ends in modern monetary theory, right? We're just printing all this money as if it's all a freebie. Again, if we could have done this in World War II, we would have done it. Don't you think it would have been great to pay for the war without increasing anybody's taxes, without borrowing money? Wouldn't that have been great? You know what also would have been great? What if we could have won the war without asking anybody to fight? You know, what if FDR said, you know, nobody has to sacrifice. Nobody has to join the army. Nobody has to risk getting killed. You know, we'll just figure out how to win this war without actually firing a shot, right? I mean, that is basically what we're saying when we say that nobody should have to suffer because of the coronavirus. Look, I get it. It's nobody's fault that the coronavirus happened, but life happens. Bad things happen. You have to deal with it. You know, you can't just say, oh, the government is going to make it all right. The government's going to take away your pain. The government is going to make sure you don't lose. That's not why we have government. Government is there to secure our liberties and to secure our our rights, not to protect us from all the things that go wrong in life. We're supposed to protect ourselves. That's what we're supposed to do. As I said earlier, we're supposed to be rugged individuals, not a bunch of freeloaders, not a bunch of deadbeats, you know, with our hands out waiting for the government to give us something. That's not the kind of nation we're supposed to be. That's not the kind of nation we should be living in. Unfortunately, that's the nation that we become. And we're going to find out that that doesn't work when we are going to be destroyed by inflation. Yes, we're going to fill everybody's pockets with money, but they're going to have a bunch of money that doesn't buy anything. And soon, you know, what you're going to see is you're going to see prices really, really move up and goods are going to be disappearing from the shelves to the extent that we're going to have price controls. I've been saying those are coming and I know those are coming. So people are going to be waiting in lines to buy basic necessities and things like that. And, you know, we're going to have all kinds of civil unrest. I mean, you think it's bad now. Wait till you see what's coming. I mean, we're finally going to get the real crash. What I've been writing about, what I've been talking about, this is the beginning of the end. This is how it starts. And believe me, when you see the way this finishes, this is going to be unlike anything we have ever experienced because we have already gone down, right? I think we've passed that point of no return. It's like we've already jumped off the top of the building, right? Off the top of the Empire State Building. There's no way to change our minds. Now, we're going to hit that pavement, right? I I can't see any way that we avoid that. All we can do is brace for impact ourselves, right? Trying to protect ourselves. And look, I know that all the foreign stocks that we own, they're going down. Yeah, they're going down. It's a free fall. Everything is being sold all over the world. As I said on last week's podcast, the foreign stocks that have fallen are dirt cheap. Most of these stocks are already below their 2009 lows. I said that the Russell 2000 still has another 60% fall to get there, and it's probably going to make it. And the same thing for the Dow and the S&P. 
we're going to go all the way down to those lows. But do I think the foreign stocks are going to keep falling? No, at some point they're going to decouple. And I think it's going to happen when the dollar really starts to fall and when the bond market really blows up, which is already happening. And by the way, even though we've had these huge collapses in the, uh, in the stock market, bond yields are not falling. The yield on the 10-year is at 0.728. So it hasn't made a new low. And particularly if you look at the 30-year, we're still here at 1.34 on the 30-year. Remember, we got down below 1%. So even with all this debt monetization, all this quantitative easing, you can only imagine how many treasuries and other bonds, other securities, the Federal Reserve is gobbling up, right? Because the world is probably unloading. This is like a giant margin call. I mean, think about it. Right. The whole world needs to tap into their savings. The whole world now needs to borrow money. Even countries like Germany, a creditor nation is saying, oh, you know, we don't care now about balanced budgets. So if the people that were loaning us money themselves are borrowing money, what are we going to do? Right. When all the creditor nations need their savings, they can't make them available to us. The same thing when it comes to production. All those surplus countries, right, that have been producing, since they're not going to produce as much because so many people aren't working and so many factories aren't working, who gets what they produce? They do. They're not going to export the stuff to us that they need themselves. So all the people who have been supplying us with credit aren't going to do it. All the nations that have been supplying us with goods aren't going to do that. Our supplies are going to be cut off. Our credit's going to be cut off. What do we have to rely on? A printing press. That is it. All we can do is print money. But that does not mean that we're going to be able to have consumption uh, because you can't create purchasing power out of thin air. What gives money purchasing power is the production. Without the production, the money means nothing. And we're all going to find that out. Now, a lot of people are saying, but Peter, why is the price of gold not rising? How come gold prices are falling, right? If we're going to have all this inflation, why don't we have the price of gold going up? And number one, I think one of the main reasons for that is that I think the people who are investing, many of them are just as clueless as the Federal Reserve. I mean, they have no idea just how badly uh, the monetary and fiscal policies are going to fail and how uh, dire the consequences that they're going to produce. But if you look at gold, in comparison to other assets, look, you know, gold was down about 70 bucks today, $75 at the low. But as I'm talking, it's only down about 20 bucks on the day. I mean, gold is back above 1500, about 1510. On the year, gold is down less than 2%. That's it. The Dow's down 32%. The Russell 2000 is down 40%. I mean, 2% is holding up pretty good. Gold is gaining tremendous purchasing power in terms of uh, stocks. Silver was down two and a half bucks at one point today. I think it closed down maybe one and a half. I forget the exact number. But again, silver has never been this cheap. You've never been able to buy more silver with your gold. Look at how many barrels of oil you can buy now with an ounce of gold. Copper, all sorts of commodities are losing value relative to gold. So gold is shining. Just a lot of people can't see that because they don't really know how to look. But the other thing is, why isn't gold up? I mean, why did gold go up $100 an ounce, $200 an ounce after the Federal Reserve slashed interest rates to zero and launched a massive QE program? And again, what did I say? I've always said that QE4 or 5 or 6, whatever the hell we're on now, because they keep announcing one after another. But I always said that the next quantitative easing round 
would be bigger than the first three combined. And I've already been vindicated on that prediction. It's already happening. So why didn't the price of gold just go up? Why aren't people just buying it? And who the hell is selling it, right? Well, I think the people who are selling it are people who just need the money, right? I mean, everything is collapsing and people have to raise cash. I mean, this has been a record decline. The stock market has really never lost this much value this fast in its history. And remember, we had record margin debt. We were just at an all-time record high. People were buying stocks on margin. So a lot of people are having margin calls. They got to come up with money. And so you're having pressure on gold. Gold is liquid. It's easy to sell. And it's barely down. So you are having a lot of people who are in pretty precarious financial situations being forced to sell their gold. They have no choice. They're just selling it, right? But as far as the other people who aren't buying it, they just don't get it yet. Or maybe they're a little nervous, right? Because they see that gold's not going up and they're like, hmm, what's wrong? Why isn't gold going up? It should be going up. And because it's not going up, they're a little worried about buying it. But believe me, all of those fears are going to go away, right? People are going to see in short order where this is going. Now, maybe today was a significant bottom. I don't know. I mean, I you know, you can't say in a market like this, but if you look at the gold stocks, the gold stocks were all crushed this morning. When gold was down $60, $70, the gold stocks were down, you know, 15, 20%. You know, the GDXJ, which was at a huge discount and still is, was down about 15%. I think it closed up about 20%. In fact, all of the gold stocks soared. They closed near their highs. The GDX was up 18%. So we had a huge reversal in gold stocks where they took out all the lows and they closed positive, including silver stocks. Even though silver uh, was still down a lot more percentage-wise in gold, we had this strong reversal in gold stocks. And what I've been observing over the years is whenever you have gold stocks leading uh, the decline, where you know gold goes up or makes a new high, but the gold stocks don't confirm it, and then we eventually have a sell-off in the price of gold, usually that sell-off stops when gold goes down, but the gold stocks finally actually go up. So what precedes the correction is gold stocks not going up when gold goes up. And what ends the correction is gold stocks not going down when gold goes down. And that's what happened today. Gold went down, but gold stocks actually went up. So there is a pretty good chance that we've seen the lows. And if we have, and this rally starts, it is going to go ballistic. You are going to see a rush of money coming into gold, and we're going to see a $100, $200, a $500 update. It's coming. It's coming because what are you going to do? I mean, there's only so much food you can stock up on. There's almost so much toilet paper that you can store in your house. So if you're not buying food and you're not buying toilet paper, what are you going to buy? You got to buy gold because if you want to buy food and toilet paper in the future, you better have gold. Because the problem is people are going to get wiped out when the dollar collapses. And, you know, there's going to be inflation all around the world. There's no question about that. But this is the beginning of the end of this monetary system. And the dollar is at the center of that monetary system. And no country has more to lose than the United States when this system falls apart. Therefore, no people other than Americans have a greater need to do something now 
to protect themselves, right? And don't worry about the noise. Don't worry about, you know, what the statement says your account is worth, if it's up or down any given day, because at the end of the day, the numbers aren't going to matter. If we have hyperinflation, the numbers are going to be enormous, but it's not really going to matter because your cost of living is going to go through the roof as well. So in the meantime, you've got to see what everybody else is oblivious to, right? See this greater financial crisis. See this greater inflationary depression. See this real crash that is coming, that is closer than ever. And do what you can. You know, call us up. You know, if you have an account, just add to the account. You know, if you don't have one, set one up, but you got to get out of U.S. stocks. They have a long way to fall, but more importantly, the dollar has a long way to fall. So what you don't lose in the market, you're going to lose to inflation, and then you're going to lose it to taxation. Does anybody really think that Donald Trump still has a chance? I don't think so. And look at that performance uh, last night by Joe Biden. You know, I mean, he's pretty much taken over Bernie Sanders' Agenda. I mean, Sanders is really pushing him to the left. And again, in a depression-like environment, I mean, if we got the New Deal during the 1930s with the mindset that America had back then, can you imagine how much new, more destructive this Green New Deal, whatever this nonsense is that we're going to have in a Biden administration, all paid for by a printing press and so-called taxes on the rich? Biden was like, oh, don't worry. We're going to finance all this with higher capital gains taxes. By the time he takes office, no one's going to have any capital gains to tax. 